Well, it's good to have you all here. I uh, love getting in the word with you guys. And uh, tonight uh, we're gonna talk about signs of the times, which is kind of what we talk about all the prophecy updates. But um, there's so much going on. Um, uh, we're gonna kind of handle this sort of like uh, the old uh, Walter Cronkite news hour and just kind of try to tackle as many news items as I can this evening because there's so much going on as it relates to Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy, what should be the fruit of Bible prophecy? Guns and bunkers and storing up Cheerios? No. Um, some people do that. <laughs> and if you wanna do that, good luck. Uh, but but um, I, I think that's not the, the purpose of Bible prophecy. The Bible prophecy, first of all, when you're talking about scripture, one of the best byproducts of studying the Bible is faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and what? hearing by the word of God. And, and so I look at Prophecy Updates, just another chance to talk about scripture and uh, that builds faith. And I'll tell you, I don't know about you, but in dark days when things are bad, there's nothing like a little faith to get you through uh, to those tough times. As I see it, there's a lot of people miserable right now. And they, they watch gas prices soar and bad news, uh, inflation and war and threat of World War III and stuff like that. And there's a lot of people really deeply troubled, but as people of faith, we keep our eyes on Jesus and our faith strengthens us and it builds us up. Bible prophecy should do that. That should be probably the number one goal. Uh, also, the book of Revelation says the spirit of prophecy is what? Jesus, right, it's Jesus. So when we, when we talk about Bible prophecy, we should be looking to Jesus, looking for Jesus in his, his return, the rapture of the church. Um, it should be Christ-centered, uh, not, you know, uh, politics centered as much. We should always, although Jesus taught us to look at the signs of the times and, um, and that's what we're really uh, all about. So that's kind of the theme tonight is signs of the times as Jesus told us to look for the signs of the times and see what's going on uh, during these days that we're living. And I believe the Christian church should be doing this from the early, earliest part of the church to the present day. Um, uh, I like, uh, you know, uh, the fact that the, that Jesus told us there, there'd be signs of my coming. And so don't let these things trouble you. He would remind us. Um, there's a story of the priest and a pastor from a local couple of local parishes were standing by the side of the road, hold, holding up uh, a sign that said, the end is near, turn yourself around before it's too late. Um, and they planned to hold up the sign to each passing car. Well, the first car Leave us alone, you religious nuts, the first person yelled as they drove by, speeding. Um, from around the curve, then they heard the screeching tires, and then a splash. Um, and the, the pastor said to the priest, do you think that we should change the sign and say, bridge out instead? <laughs> Get it, the end is near, turn yourself around. Uh, signs of the times. Um, I like this one, uh, the end is near. Uh, uh, and, and some people say, you know, people that look at signs of the times, they're the wacko ones, they're the crazy ones, you know, that are looking at the signs. But Jesus said, nope, uh, signs of the times are part of the deal. In fact, let's do a quick uh, review. Um, in the Bible, it's, there's, there's a bunch of scriptures that talk about how we're to know what's happening and watch and wait. And what are we supposed to be watching? Well, Jesus told us, and let's review. We, we talk about Matthew 24 all the time at Prophecy Updates. It's one of the main uh, passages of scripture that really helps us when Jesus was asked, you know, when's the end of the world? He said um, in Matthew 24, six, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. These are signs um, that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
Um, for nation shall rise against nation, na uh, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Um, in other words, before uh, the real tribulation kicks into gear, there's gonna be these signs. So some people say, man, the church is just gonna be raptured, so we don't have to worry about the tribulation. Well, we don't worry about the tribulation. Uh, we look to the Lord and we trust in him. But we also know that these are signs, Jesus said, that would happen before the tribulation actually kicks into gear. If you read your Matthew 24, uh, these are signs of coming events. Paul the apostle jumps on the same uh, you know, tune when he says there, it says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. In other words, you guys know what's going on because you'll know the times and the seasons. Uh, no man knows the day or the hour, but you will know as Christians the times and the seasons. Why? Because there's signs of the times and seasons. And then it goes verse two, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, not us by the way, they, they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But then it goes on talking about the signs. But you brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Um, you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore let us um, not sleep uh, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Um, that, that idea of let us watch there at the end, that's, that's told to you and me over and over in scripture in the context of end times, Bible prophecy, watch. Um, the word watch there is also um, don't fall asleep or wake up is a word that is often in the newer translations. And that's actually a good rendition of it because the idea is to be a watchman or a guard, not sawn logs, you know, at the entry gate of a city, you're supposed to stand guard and watch. Um, and, and stay awake. Remember when Jesus told his disciples, come and watch, can't you watch and pray, you know, with me? And that's a term of the Bible is to be awake and stay watching and sort of vigilant, sober. Those are the languages of the Bible. And then, you know, again, in Timothy, 2 Timothy, you know, it says, this know also that in the last days, perilous times will come. And we've done whole studies on the various things that are listed there about the perilous times. We're seeing a lot of those things come to pass. Um, the idea of watching, Mark chapter 13, Jesus said, watch, watch, watch. Uh, take heed uh, or listen up. Watch, the first watch there, watch and pray. For you know not when the time is. For the son of man is as a man taking a journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. So watch ye therefore. <laughs> Again, we're told to watch. For you know not when the master of the house cometh at evening or at midnight or at the cock crowing in the morning, lest coming suddenly find you sleeping. And what uh, I say unto you, I say to all, watch. What do you think the Lord's trying to tell us here? <laughs> watch, watch, watch. So stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Uh, and how do you stay awake? You watch and be sober. And um, I love this analogy. It's like, you know, uh, it's like a man who takes a far journey, you know, and, and then the, the servants are left to, to be dutifully caring for and doing the work of the house. That's what you and I as Christians are supposed to do. That's another thing that Bible prophecy should do for us. Um, some of the critics of Bible prophecy, which I'm shocked there, that there even are critics in the church of Bible prophecy, um, but there are. And one of the criticisms that I think is very undue is they say, well, you guys are just sitting around waiting for Jesus and you're not doing anything. 
And I just don't see that. I see people that are studying Bible prophecy, they seem to be more motivated than the others to go and share the good news as time is short, as we're watching and waiting. We're not just sitting around, uh, we're busy. Um, and um, I would say if I could be so bold um, that there's almost the opposite that people that are, um, that are not watching the Bible prophecy issues and the signs of the times, they're sitting around talking about their checkbooks and how to manage your marriage and your money and your career and um, you know, um, sort of these weird themes that really are not gonna get the church through the difficulties that they're going through. Uh, you gotta get into the scripture and be a soldier watching on guard and waiting for the Lord, lest he find some of us sleeping. And I think sadly, a lot of the church is asleep today because of pastors and pulpits that are uh, silent right now and they're not speaking the truth, which is a, a sad thing. So one of the reasons we do prophecy updates once a month uh, and one of the reasons we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible is to keep our, the church awake. We need to stay awake during these times, looking for Jesus, the rapture of his church. Uh, we keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening in the world so that we can discern the times and the seasons. Uh, what an important thing that the church do just that. Um, man, I, I love the, um, the, the, the ability for us to talk to people about what's going on in the days that we're living. Um, it's one of the tools I hope you employ and that you use because there's a lot of people scratching their heads right now wondering what in the world's going on. And the great thing is the Bible gives us the answers. We're not taken uh, in shock because there's war uh, in Ukraine right now. We're not shocked by that. Um, we're not shocked by what Putin is doing because we, the Bible kind of tells us about something that's gonna be sort of similar um, we've been studying the Gog-Magog invasion. Whether it's Putin or not, we don't know. Um, we, we do know it's gonna be a person that's a leader in the region of Russia who's gonna come down and attack Israel. The Bible says that's gonna happen. Whether it's Putin and, and Russia today or maybe somebody else in the future, we don't know for sure. But it is interesting, the, the way that Putin's behaving is very Gog-Magog-y. If you are a Bible student, you kind of have to say, yeah, that, that's kind of the behavior. Um, except for one thing, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. There's, there's some things that make, make, make me wonder, is he not the guy? Um, I do question. I'm not on the bandwagon. Some of the prophecy people are talking about online, I've noticed they're, oh yeah, this is for sure Gog-Magog. And I can't jump on that bandwagon. We don't know for sure. Uh, like I said in the last prophecy update, you know, Putin could be assassinated tomorrow and then their little prophecy update, they have to take him off their website because uh, they predicted something wrongly. That's another thing we're not doing, by the way, is trying to make predictions. Some people say, Brett, you, you know, you're doing a prophecy update, predicting things. I, I'm not predicting anything. The Bible does predict things. And I'll tell you what the Bible predicts, but we won't try to say, well, this is exactly that unless we know for sure. For example, um, we know that Israel becoming a nation in 1948, that exactly was prophesied in the Bible, that they would become a nation once again. And we can say, wow, check the box. That's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. But do we know that Putin is Gog and Russia today is Magog? We don't know that. And there's gonna be people wrong. Um, I saw people do, jump, jump the ship on this one uh, with the um, Y2K back in 1999, a bunch of prophecy guys. Some of my favorite guys were actually, oh yeah, this is it. And I'm like, no, don't say that. 
because what if you're wrong? And they were all wrong uh, and uh, you know, nothing happened on Y2K, uh, not, not even a glitch. Uh, I mean, there, there was very little that happened on Y2K. Um, and so, you know, uh, people get kind of goofy about the prediction thing. We don't make predictions here. We do talk about Bible prophecy. There is a difference. Um, so all that to say, um, we're hoping to take that balanced biblical approach and this is something that you can share. And, and uh, if I could, if I, you know, those of you that are online or those of you that are even here, um, share prophecy updates with your friends. Um, I'm actually uh, amazed really this last couple of years, how many people have not only A, uh, found Athey Creek online because of the prophecy update, but B, how many people have actually accepted Christ because of prophecy updates. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed people, they, they hear these and they see what the Bible says and it makes them realize, wow, the Bible kind of knows what it's talking about. And, um, and it gives people that faith that we talk about. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So pass these along. You know, you can share, you can subscribe. When you subscribe online, it helps that, uh, that channel uh, get out to more people and reach more people, uh, liking, sh- subscribing, sharing, stuff like that. Another quick thing while I'm talking about the shameless plug and everything. Um, <laughs> Uh, one thing is if, if you're on Instagram, I don't really do much with social media. Um, fortunately, our comms team kind of uh, does a lot of my social media stuff. So if you're messaging me and stuff on, on Instagram, you probably won't hear from me. Uh, I don't really look at it that much. Once in a while, I do. But, um, but I do stick stuff on there that is uh, kind of important. And uh, one thing, that, there's so much going on, I think I'm gonna start more and more giving little snippets, little, little couple minutes here and there on Bible prophecy themes and other biblical themes. Uh, on Instagram. So if you're interested in that, you can also uh, follow that on, uh, it's Pastor Brett uh, there on Instagram. But be that as it may, um, um, what are the signs of the times and what are the things we should be watching? Uh, let's, let's tr- I'm gonna try to do rapid fire. I'm not very good at that. But uh, let's, let's, let's talk about some of the signs of the times today that we're seeing. Number one on our list of things that are interesting, Russia, embarrassed. Um, that's an interesting thing. Who would have thought um, that uh, this attack, uh, you know, in this, this uh, Ukrainian war, who would have thought, you know, Putin always looks so smug and so uh, like dialed in, but, um, but it really is, it's a question, like what's going on? Does anybody wonder what's going on? Like if, if, if anybody would have said, yeah, Russia is gonna attack uh, Ukraine uh, and people were talking about it sort of, but not believing it would ever really happen, interestingly enough, even our president was saying, you know, they're postured to attack, but it's almost like they didn't believe it was really gonna happen. But if you would have asked us, you know, uh, you know, seven weeks ago, what are we? We're entering, I think, our sixth week of this conflict. Um, if you would have asked me seven weeks ago, I would have said, oh yeah, you know, uh, Kiev would be over in 24 hours, or, you know, the Ukrainians would go down. Russia's a powerhouse, world power. Uh, they could just, but everybody's a little bit shocked at how badly Russia is doing. And there's huge questions uh, as to why. Um, One of the things that's shocking, uh, uh, have you noticed how many missiles have failed? Um, There's these failed missiles littering the Ukrainian landscape. Um, This is a shocking statistic. Russian precision guided missiles are failing up to 60% of the time. So 60% of these missiles are just bouncing on the dirt and not exploding, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, Three US officials with knowledge of intelligence on the issue uh, told Reuters this, um, a possible explanation 
for the poor progress of the Russian invasion. One of the you know, reasons why it's not working very well is there, there's all these missiles that are failing. Uh, thank the Lord you know, that they are failing. Um, but, um, but, but even Israel is sort of chiming in. Now, what's interesting is Israel's gotta play this thing really carefully. And by the way, when it comes to Bible prophecy, we focus on Israel. Israel's the epicenter of Bible prophecy as far as the nations go. For those of you that are new to Bible prophecy, it's kind of all about Israel. And that's, when, when I look at the Ukrainian uh, war and what's going on up there, um, there's a lot of things that are confusing about that whole thing. And I don't claim to be an expert on that. And, uh, um, and it, it's just a confusing situation and tough. And my heart breaks for Ukrainians. I've been praying for Ukrainians uh, and it's so sad to see the stories of what's going on. But you also have to kind of say, wow, those Ukrainians, they're a tough bunch, you know, and uh, they're hanging in there. Um, and who would have thought, you know, that they could hold off Putin? Uh, and, and do it so uh, drastically. But, but when, it, when it comes to you know, Israel and Bible prophecy, the question that we tend to ask is, is, is Putin gonna be emboldened to go down into Israel? Because that's what Ezekiel 38 says. You know, and and, and what, what's gonna happen there? What, what is interesting though is uh, reading uh, from the Jerusalem Post, um, they, um, this article talks about how Israel military surprised at how the war in Ukraine is going. Uh, this article from the Jerusalem Post says, a month into Russia's devastating invasion of Ukraine, Israel's military is surprised about what they're seeing, comparing it to a war of the past. Senior military officials have said that while Russia has deployed a large number of troops to its neighboring country um, and a large number of military platforms, they have yet to make use of their advanced weaponry. Now, one thing about the Israelis, they have what is called the Mossad. Uh, the Mossad is, if you don't know, they're like an intelligence extraordinaire. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they make our CIA look like chumps, James Bond. Like if, if, you, if you wanna hear James Bond stories, read stories about the Mossad, the Israeli uh, the crazy spy stuff. Um, this was, I don't know if you guys knew this, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I, I had, uh, we had a Mossad guy. He, he was the former <clears throat> head of the Mossad sitting right where you guys are sitting right here. Um, and he came to church and they brought his detail and they had all these guys with weapons and they called us ahead of time saying, hey, we want this guy to come to your church at 8th Greek. And uh, he came here and sat right there. And then that would be the one Sunday when some guy who was drunk came to church and stumbled in and he was wandering around <laughs> the Mossad, the director of the Mossad that was sitting. And I'm like, sir, maybe you remember that Sunday. I said, sir, can I help you? And he's like, I'm looking for my girlfriend. I saw, and our, one of our elders came up, your girlfriend's over here and helped him. And he was a little inebriated uh, that Sunday, which was a sad thing. We did have a cool talk with him after church though, as far as Jesus and salvation, <laughs> truly. Like um, he, he needed to hear about the Lord. I thought he was gonna get killed. Uh, <laughs> you know, as he was walking around the Mossad guy. But uh, anyways, so you never know who you're sitting next to uh, on Sunday morning or whatever at Athey Creek. But um, the Mossad, uh, they're, they're saying, they're, you know, they're saying that Russia hasn't even, they haven't even dusted off their fanciest and most scary weaponry. Um, they're, they're using old equipment and stuff like that, which is interesting. In light of this, over 12,000 Russian troops are said to have either been killed or injured so far. And Ukraine claims uh, to have destroyed at least 49 fighter jets, 81 helicopters, 335 tanks, 1,105 armored vehicles, 123 artillery systems, and more. Now, those numbers 
that's the reports. Who knows whether they're true or false? Like these, these days we're living, uh, and these reports, I just kind of take them all a little bit with a grain of salt. But um, these are uh, United States officials who are saying these numbers, you can take them for what you want. That's what I love, by the way, about the Bible. It's not fake news. Uh, you, whenever you read the Bible, we're on solid ground. Whenever you read US officials, you might just kind of go, I don't know. Um, but those are the numbers they're touting, which if that's true, if, if, if you know, the, the Russians have lost 12,000 troops, either to death or injury, and 49 fighter jets, when are they gonna break out the, the other weapons? Like, when are they gonna start? And, and, that, and I'm wondering, when's that gonna happen? And, and why is uh, Pooty Poot uh, waiting, uh, you know, as, as George Bush called it? Remember when George Bush used to call him Pooty Poot? That cracks me up, because he's not the guy you'd call Pooty Poot to his face, I don't think. Um, be that as it may, um, what does all this mean for Bible prophecy? Not really 100% sure. But here's some food for thought uh, for you Bible students. Um, <clears throat> what we know about the Russian bear, Gog Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39, and I'm not even gonna go into that because we've talked, we've done whole sessions, many of them on that. But, um, but you know, when the Russian bear will come down with a hook in her jaw, as it's told there, and invade Israel, the reason is they're gonna come to take what? A spoil. And now what that spoil is, boy, there's some interesting things. We used to say, well, it's gonna be oil but it could be natural gas. It could be uh, all the, the fruit and vegetables and food uh, that's being produced and shipped to Europe. Um, Israel's becoming a lifeline for Europe, especially in light of the Russian sanctions and what have you. And it puts Israel in this interesting space. Israel is suddenly this lifeblood to Europe as food and natural gas is being uh, shipped up there. And there's even deals being made about pipelines going from Israel up into Europe because Russia's spout is being turned off right now. Um, now what's the Russian, you know, if Europe goes along swimmingly because Israel's you know, feeding, does that make the Russian bear mad? Is that one of the things that draws Russia down to Israel? Um, not that they need it themselves as much as they need to turn off that spigot to Europe, perhaps. There's some interesting things to think about. Um, you know, um, the big question to me, and this is something that, you know, just, I, I don't know that I have an answer, but does Putin actually have a plan? Um, and, and, and does he have a plan that we've yet to see really unfold? Because um, here's the thing, those, those of us that have kind of watched Putin for years and years, um, and, uh, and as I listen to people who've known Putin, like um, you know, some of our former officials and what have you, um, that, that have actually had meetings with Putin, the, the big question is, he, he's either kind of gone crazy or he's not so smart. Now, I'm not gonna bet on either of those two. I don't know that he's crazy and I don't think he's not so smart. He didn't become who he is by being stupid. I'm not defending him, I'm not saying I like him. Uh, I'm just saying um, uh, there's, there, e either he's crazy or not so smart and he's just really stupid to do what he did or um, there's more to what's going on than what we actually know. And that's what I wonder. Like, and, and, and I've not really heard any great, I've, I've been studying and reading and there's a bunch of people with theories and, but I've not heard the one that I go, ooh, that's the one, that's what he's, that, that's what old Pootie's up to. Uh, and I can't say that we know what that is. Uh, meanwhile, um, he's doing this horrible invasion of Ukraine and man, uh, that's where we as Christians, we're sending help and aid and we pray for the Ukrainian people because that's very real. There's real people being displaced, over four million people now uh, uh, that have had to uh, leave their homes and it's, it's really tragic. 
But, the, but it really does cause one to wonder, is Putin just dumb as he lost his mind or is there something else going on here? And, um, you know, and then everything I just told you, you also have to figure in the massive misinformation that's out there right now, which just fogs up the whole thing even that much more. So on this idea of you know, Russian embarrassment, the, um, uh, you know, the signs of the time, could the embarrassing part be part of his plan to get people sort of off, off, uh, off their footing? Uh, wow, you know, I mean, even the United States were sort of saying, wow, we used to be afraid of Russia. Now there's nothing, look at them. Look how badly they're doing right now. And their weapons are dropping and hitting the dirt. Uh, and their tanks are being blown up by, you know, some, we're just giving some of our trashy weapons to the Ukrainians and they're shooting their planes out of the sky and, and wiping out their tanks. Could it be that that's exactly what Putin wants the world to think? Um, that's an interesting question. So um, possible Gog, Magog scenarios, Ezekiel 38, 39, maybe Russia will then come in and shock the world with, uh, with their real weaponry and their real power. That's a possibility. Maybe Russia will have to try to save face. Maybe if this is real and they're really, their army isn't what that we all thought it was, maybe they'll try to save face by going into Israel. Don't forget, Russian sol shoulder, soldiers are on the northern border of Israel in uh, Syria as we speak. Um, and there's a lot of them up there. Um, maybe uh, Russia trying to recover economically from the sanctions that are uh, hitting them. Uh, maybe that'll be the part of the hook that draws Russia down. Uh, maybe Russia trying to control Europe, like I mentioned, and the, the lifeblood that Israel's uh, feeding to the Europeans. Um, um, but um, the question is, is this the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39? I don't know. But I'm, I'm almost wondering if the answer is no. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying, I, I think everybody needs to kind of calm down. Who knows, maybe it's something that's still off in the future ways. But it is worth noting. And I'm definitely not one of those Bible prophecy guys saying, yeah, this is for sure, you know, evidence of Gog Magog in Putin. So that's just some, something of the signs of the times. Um, watching Russia and what they're doing is a, a sign of the time as it relates to what the Bible says concerning uh, Gog Magog, Ezekiel 38, Russia, and the confederation of the nations, including Iran, uh, Turkey. Another thing that's making um, the whole Gog Magog thing not fit, you, you've heard me talk about how everything was lined up like last year for the Gog Magog invasion. Like it was an amazingly lined up situation. But have you noticed how friendly Turkey's been to Israel lately? That's, that's ruining our narrative. Um, like I have to admit, I have to say, wow, that doesn't really figure in to the Gog Bingo because Turkey's gonna be part of that group that attacks Israel. Now, before we get too uh, chilled about that whole thing, Turkey is sort of schizophrenic right now with Erdogan uh, as a leader. And who knows, uh, would I trust Turkey and what they're doing right now? Um, by the way, those of you that have been to Israel with me, um, uh, we go through Hezekiah's tunnel. Um, and remember at the end of Hezekiah's tunnel, there's a plaque. Did you remember we show you that plaque at the very, and, it, and it's inscribed the stone talking about, this is Hezekiah's tunnel built in during the time of Hezekiah. And it was, it was a stone plaque. The problem, and I told you guys this at the time, that's a replica. And um, the one that was originally there was taken. Uh, and guess, guess who had that, that placard that was in Hezekiah's tunnel? Anybody know? Turkey. Turkey had that plaque and they had it in their museums and stuff. This was the plaque of Hezekiah and they displayed it in Turkey, in Istanbul. Um, but shockingly, Turkey's trying to cozy up with Israel right now, which is really shocking. 
And one of the things they did as a show of kindness is they gave the plaque back to Israel of the Hezekiah's tunnel, which is a big deal uh, for the Israelis. You know, that's a huge thing. Tourism is their number one industry in Israel and have that real plaque back is kind of a big deal. And um, so it's, it's, it's uh, interesting to see how uh, Turkey's warming up. But the, so, so I, I have to say that doesn't fit the Ezekiel 38 narrative. Um, but don't be too shocked because uh, Turkey could flip on a dime and change, they have before. That wouldn't shock me if suddenly, or even Turkey cozying up to Israel as part of a plot to turn on Israel. They've done that before. Remember the flotillas and all that stuff that happened when Turkey got busted by the Israeli commandos that jumped on those ships? That's what really turned the relationship sour. How many years ago was that? Like 10, 10 years ago, I guess, I don't know. Um, but uh, their relationship has been on and off. And right now it's on, shockingly to say. So watching this um, Russian embarrassment, it, it, there, I think it, it raises more questions in my mind than answers about Gog Magog and whether or not that this is part of that plan or situation, but it is worth watching. And, and that's one of the things we're supposed to watch. So that's number one. Number two, um, this is another sign of the time. Uh, the nuclear threat. It, it's, it's reaching a, a very dangerous point. And man, I can't, uh, I can't say enough about how we've been lulled asleep with the nuclear problem in the world. Um, I think some people say 1955, I wasn't alive then, but in 1955, some people say the, the fears were at its height after we saw what happened you know, with our weapons, uh, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and then the world started you know, gathering nuclear weapons. And by 1955, you know, uh, things were getting, uh, you know, everybody knew. If you asked a person in 1955, do you think we're gonna survive the next 20 years? Most people at that time would say, no, the world's gonna blow itself up. And we had the Cuban Missile Crisis. And you know, some of us, we had to do that so smart thing when uh, we did nuclear drills as we got under our desks at school and uh, thought that's gonna help us um, uh, in a nuclear exchange. Um, but once you know, Ronald Reagan and uh, Gorbachev uh, hit it off, um, and there's kind of an interesting story. I, I probably shouldn't get into all this, but um, there at, um, in Geneva, when Reagan and Gorbachev were talking, they, they went on a walk because things were getting tense between them as they were talking. But um, they, they went off out by themselves in a cabin and started talking about stuff. And Reagan, in his you know, very familial, you know, jovial way, tried to lighten the mood. And he said something like, um, he said, if space aliens came and attacked the United States, would you come to our rescue and defense? And Gorbachev said, I think I would. Um, and they did this through translators, right? Um, and then Gorbachev said, if we were attacked by base aliens, would you guys in the United States come into our defense? And Ronald Reagan said, I would. And they, they sort of chuckled at that. Then they came back to the, the table where they were officially debating and talking about nuclear weapons and, and uh, the Cold War and stuff like that. And all the advisors and all the people were there and they, they noticed a massive change in the relationship between Reagan and Gorbachev just because they were joking and laughing when they came back from that little walk. Um, it's amazing how the nuclear, the Cold War sort of ended with a, with a little jovial thing about space aliens attacking. And by the way, there was a speech that Reagan did later where he told his speechwriters that, you know, if we were ever to get attacked by space aliens, and he wanted that in the speech, 
Um, and it was a code in his speech that was meant for Gorbachev because only Gorbachev knew about that little thing that they talked about, the space alien attack. And his advisor was like, yeah, Reagan, don't talk about the space aliens. People think you're nuts. So nope, leave it in my speech. Um, it's a great story, but it's all of that that led to uh, the you know, tearing down of the Berlin Wall and the end of the Cold War and all that stuff. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting because the nuclear threat, while the Cold War ended and all that, the nuclear threat didn't go away. The nukes are still there. And bigger and worse nukes by far are there today. And, and yet we, we're, we're a generation now that largely kind of just, uh, ignorance is bliss um, to, to know. And you're saying, Brett, why should you talk about it? You're just gonna make us all freak out. Um, oh, you really wanna be freaked out? A guy named Leon Trotsky, he said this. He said, you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. <laughs> that's, that's a scary uh, little line there. Uh, you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. And if there's something in history that's been proven true, that is true. Um, you, you know, the idea is he was referring to the vortex that war inevitably uh, creates, uh, sucking a whole in, sucking in whole communities and individuals who thought themselves as neutrals or non-combatants, um, uh, you know, thinking, oh, I don't care about war. I'm not a military person. And, but war has a way of finding you, is, is what uh, Trotsky said. Um, and we're seeing that today, by the way. Um, much of Europe has become sort of highfalutin, in my opinion, about the United States and their military and all their battles and weapons and stuff. But now they're all, uh, over here, NATO, we love NATO. And the United States is our friend. Why? Because they got Putin sort of knocking at their back door. And suddenly Sweden and Switzerland, did you guys see this um, just a few days ago? Uh, Daily Mail article, um, two Russian fighter jets uh, that violated Swedish airspace earlier this month were equipped with nukes with the aim of scaring Stockholm after Putin had threatened military action if Sweden or Finland joined NATO. You know, when you think of Sweden and Finland, Switzerland and some of these places, they're all the ones like, oh yeah, we're neutral and we're just all good. But now you got Russian jets with nukes flying over your airspace. Um, and so this picture is actually a real picture from one of the uh, uh, Swedish uh, pilots um, as they're chasing these Russian uh, jets out of their airspace. Um, but the Russians were there just to kind of say, we're here and we could drop a nuke on you. And they had nukes on their, on their aircraft. Uh, and it was shocking to the world. Um, the two Russian planes violated Swedish airspace. Space, um, uh, the flyover near the island of Gotland on March 2nd was uh, the deliberate act designed to intimidate Sweden, according to the Swedish news channel, TV4, Nyaterna. Uh, but all that to say, um, the nuclear threat is still big. And, and what's even more, the Ukrainian-Russian uh, conflict, you know, Putin's talked about how he's not afraid to use nuclear weapons. And man, if you think about that, you know, um, it was Richard Nixon who concluded after talking to all the um, specialists and, you know, seeing the numbers and what warfare with nukes would do. It was Richard Nixon who actually said, um, if it gets down to it, I would never push the button. Now, what's interesting about that, when a president says, I would never push the button, then suddenly deterrence is lessened. Like um, one of the things that's, I think, kept us all from blowing each other up is mutually assured destruction. Once one side thinks that we won't push the button, then they're gonna be emboldened. 
Um, and that's something that's kind of a strange thing. I'm not saying I love nuclear weapons and I'm, uh, that we should be ready to push the button because you know, when you push the button, things, it's pretty much over for everybody. Um, so that we've got this weird uh, conundrum. Uh, I think most experts uh, on nuclear weapons and, and uh, all that stuff, the science behind nuclear weapons, most are shocked that we've made it this far without another exchange like Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki, the dropping of the atomic bomb there. Um, and especially because of the numbers of weapons, this comes from um, uh, World Nuclear Estimated Global Nuclear Warhead Inventories. But you know, the amount of nuclear weapons, we've, we've diminished some, we've gotten rid of some since the Cold War, but right now the United States has 5,428 nuclear warheads, Russia has 5,977. Israel, by the way, has 90 uh, and the other nations. Um, but you know, Pakistan, 165, India, 160. Um, so despite the progress in re reducing nuclear weapons, um, you know, the world combined in inventory of nuclear warhead remains at an extremely high level. Nine countries possessed roughly uh, 12,700 warheads as the uh, early 2022 numbers tell us. Um, approximately 90% of all nuclear warheads are owned by Russia and the United States. Uh, um, and, um, and we've got stockpiles. Uh, no other nuclear armed state sees a need for more than a few hundred nuclear weapons for their own national security. Um, you know, uh, like North Korea with their 20, uh, they believe that's gonna keep them safe because they do have nukes. It doesn't matter how many they have. Um, this article, uh, US military deplo deploys new type of nuclear weapon seen as the key to countering Russia. This was from uh, a couple years ago, but I bring this one up because um, this new nuclear weapon, we haven't designed a new nuclear weapon for really the past uh, 10 years, or it's been over a decade. Why did we um, come up with a new, uh, this article says, the US military deployed a new submarine launched low yield nuclear weapon, something <clears throat> the Pentagon sees as a crucial uh, implement to counter the threat posed by Russia's arsenal of smaller tactical nukes. See, one of the things when Putin threatens to use nukes, he does have an arsenal of nukes that are not um, giant, like the ones that would just uh, you know, take out a half a million people. Uh, there are those weapons too but um, there's ones that are more tactical nukes that aren't quite as huge, but still horribly uh, scary. The new warheads the United States uh, made were to sort of match um, boom for boom on these nuclear weapons. Uh, the first US nuclear weapons in decades were produced uh, in February of uh, 2020. Um, so, uh, you know, the, here's the thing about that though. Um, Several high-ranking officials, administrations in the United States um, have said these weapons are actually more dangerous, and here's why. Because they're low yield, and so we think we can use them. Because they're low yield nuclear weapons, they're more likely to use them because, well, they're not giant nuclear weapons. But what we have to remember is, um, if it's a nuclear weapon, it's a nuclear weapon. Once a tactical nuke is used, 
then some of these other crazy night nations like North Korea um, might use their nuclear weapon uh, or what have you. It's, it's just asking for escalation. The, the experts are horrified at this smaller nuclear tactical weapon because we, we might use it. Does that make sense? Whereas we wouldn't have used the giant, you know, 20,000 megaton, uh, whatever, uh, bombs or whatever. Um, now, uh, speaking of nuclear weapons, at least uh, up until fairly recent years, um, most of the nations with nuclear weapons, uh, uh, we sort of trusted and mutually assured destruction has kept us safe. The thing that's uh, very end times, very last days, is crazy people having nuclear weapons. Um, and that's why I ran. That's why I ran wanting nuclear weapons. The world is like, yeah, we can't let that happen, or at least some people in the world. But North Korea is kind of the one that we're all kind of a little worried about still. Did you guys see the uh, nicely produced video uh, that, that uh, yeah, it's a, this, is, this is not a fake video. This is a real publicity video that Kim Jong-un put out um, and I just had to show you. I, we've edited it down because it's like four minutes long, but uh, I've, I've made it shorter. But you, you just got to see that this is laughable, um, but this is real. This is propaganda for the North Koreans. Here it is. There's the button. Now this footage is actually interesting of uh, this missile. They got a drone up there that's catching this missile coming up. It's, it is kind of, this is the best part, if you ask me. Um, but it's a, it, it is a rocket there in North Korea. Are they happy that it launched instead of flash splashed into the ocean? Yes. Uh, and uh, everybody's really, really happy. Um, Um, now, does that make you feel comforted that these, this, the, the same people that produced this video actually have a nuclear weapon? That, that makes me nervous, uh, yeah, honestly. Now you say, Brett, what is the, the nuclear weapons and nuclear arsenals and the fear of nuclear, what does that have to do with Bible prophecy? Well, as it turns out, if you, if you look closely at the Bible, it, it looks very much like um, there's going to be nuclear weapons used in the future. Um, both in the Gog-Magog invasion, but also during the tribulation, and maybe uh, similarly at the same time, because Gog-Magog, depending on your view, is either gonna be right before the rapture of the church or right after the rapture of the church, depending on your take on that. So it could be at the same time, 
But it does seem that uh, humanity will uh, stupidly uh, use uh, nuclear weapons. Let me just do a quick review of scripture. Ezekiel 39 um, talks about this strange cleanup after the, 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 you know, the, the bear comes from the north and attacks Israel. Um, but listen to this description afterwards in Ezekiel 39 verse 12. It says, and seven months shall the house of Israel be burying them that they may cleanse the land. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them and it shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. And they shall sever out, check this out, men of continual employment. There's, jo- there's guys with specific jobs to do what? Passing through the land to bury with the passengers, those that remain on the face of the earth to cleanse it. After uh, the end of seven months, they shall search. And the passengers that pass through the land, when they see a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it until the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. Um, so this is an interesting uh, description that many uh, you know that know about uh, nuclear fallout, radiation. The, the 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 further out you go from the ground zero of a nuclear detonation, you have this strange radioactive problem in the bearing. You need special professional barriers. Um, some people say that that's what's happening here. In Zechariah chapter 14, there's a, a, a interesting description of this attack on Israel. Uh, Zechariah 14, 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Um, and check this out, their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet and their eyes shall consume away with their holes and their tongue shall consume away with their mouth. Um, I find it more than a coincidental thing that scientists tell us this is exactly what would happen uh, physiologically if people were exposed to massive amounts of radiation. And so there's these evidences uh, in, in the Bible about this. Now, um, uh, in a second, I'm gonna explain another problem with the nuclear, if, if bombs are used, what else happens? There's a lot of other things that will happen. We'll talk about that in a, in a second, uh, maybe in one of our other signs, if we get to it. Number three, we gotta move on, here we go. Um, notice lately something new, violence in Israel. We, we've had a, a large season where Israel's been largely protected from violence and terrorism. Um, but uh, this has been uh, quite a deal. Jerusalem Post uh, today, actually, um, this article came out, gun permits, armed citizens spotlighted for a role in breaking terrorism wave. Um, on Wednesday, following the deadly uh, uh, Nye Barak uh, shooting that claimed the lives of five people, including a police officer who had rushed to the scene to neutralize the terrorists, Naftali Bennett, advocated for citizens to arm themselves in an address. Can you imagine if Biden went to the United front of the United States, okay guys, you concealed carry holders, you better carry your guns now because that's how bad things are right now. That's what the prime minister of Israel said to Israel. Uh, everybody that's got weapons, you better bring them to work today. That's what they're saying, that's, that's a big deal. Um, Be alert, uh, said Bennett, whosoever or whoever has a weapon license, this is the time to carry it. That's what he said. Um, it wasn't just those uh, five, but it was a total of 11 Israelis have been killed in terrorist attacks over the last two weeks. Uh, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett warned on Wednesday that Israel was entering into a new wave of terrorism. Um, this was the bloodiest week in Israel since 2006. Um, now, um, interestingly, always when Israelis are killed, uh, the Arab world celebrates. Um, no one like it, uh, the, the Palestinians 
the, the Breitbart article, Palestinians celebrate, hand out candy after terror attack that killed five in Tel Aviv. Um, and uh, you know, there's video footage of them celebrating in the streets because you know, women and children were killed in Israel. It's always amazing to me how um, you know, these uh, nations, they love to see you know, civilians killed. Uh, it's not a, a, a army or a soldier, it's just civilians on the street killed with knives, screwdrivers, uh, and what have you. One of the terrorists came uh, to, at, a, at a woman with a screwdriver and a concealed carry person um, neutralized him immediately. And, uh, and the, the woman didn't die and was saved. So uh, it is interesting what's going on in Israel right now with this. Um, and, there's, and there's all kinds of pictures and video you can see of them passing out sweets and handing out things as they're celebrating the death of these women and children in Israel. Um, this, this says something about uh, the Palestinian Arab-Israeli conflict. Now, um, if you're one of those people say, those poor Palestinians, they, you know, it's good that the Jews are you know, being killed because the Jews kill Palestinians. Um, there's, there's, um, we've done whole teachings on this Arab-Israeli conflict and uh, I'm not gonna spend time going over that tonight, but uh, all you need to know is this. If um, the uh, Palestinians and the Hamas and the Hezbollah in the north, the Hamas in the south, if they laid down their weapons today, what would happen in Israel? Peace. Peace. If the Jews laid down their weapons today, what would happen in Israel? Total annihilation of Israel, the Jews would be wiped off the map. Um, so it's, it's a little bit ridiculous just on that alone if you take that position um, that you know, the, the Jews are unfair and they're, they're uh, you know, uh, abusive to the Palestinians. There are abuses, I'm not saying there's not, but Israel is trying to de- defend herself. Now, with all this said, you know, the violence in Israel, what, what is different? today and this year um, that makes violence in Israel start happening again. What, what was it that um, in recent years there was peace in Israel? I'm gonna tell you, this is an interesting thing, but it has something to do with US leadership. Um, as soon as we shifted gears, um, boy, the whole world kind of went nuts um, when Biden took office. And it has to do with, every president's tested by the way, um, right out of the gate, every president's tested. Um, and the world wants to say, well, what kind of leader is this gonna be in the United States? Um, and, um, you know, honestly, love him or hate him, when Trump was in office, um, uh, the world said, yeah, he could be a little crazy. And you almost picture Trump just kind of tickling the button of the nuclear, and, and there was a lot of people who said, he's crazy and he's gonna do it, he's gonna blow up the whole world. Now, as it turns out, he didn't, but just that question, Putin stayed nice and safe there in, in Russia while he was president because nobody really knew what crazy Trump would do. Um, but as it turns out, uh, in one year, you know, with the Afghanistan pullout uh, and all the things that have been going on, you know, geopolitically around the world, the world, they're laughing at the United States right now and no one's afraid of us right now. Um, and we're seeing the Palestinians emboldened. Um, Trump was pro-Jerusalem, pro-Israel, and the whole, Trump is the, one of the first presidents in a long time that took the whole two-state solution off the table. He said, That's not, we're not even gonna talk about that. And suddenly, the Palestinians were quiet. Uh, suddenly, the, uh, one of the things that happened during the Trump administration that I think still gets very little notice but it's one of the most amazing things that's happened in the last 25 years is the Abraham Accords. These um, Arab nations that signed peace treaties with Israel during the Trump administration. Like that's an amazing thing. People don't even talk about it, but it was amazing. 
Bahrain and UAE and Morocco and Saudi Arabia even was getting close to the, the signing of those things. And um, that, that was just unheard of. But that was the condition. Things were getting so much better. And then when he, Trump's out, suddenly the world changes and it's, it's, it's about leadership. And that brings me to the next sign that we need to be talking about in the signs of the time. Remember, Israel is the epicenter of Bible prophecy. And one of the things that's happening right now, and you need to know, know this, I want you to know this because this is huge, especially as patriotic Americans, the US-Israeli relationships uh, are deteriorating as we speak. Um, and it's sad because of what's happening. Um, we have taken that old posture, two-state solution. Uh, Jews, you better stop being bad to those poor Palestinians. Like we're, we're shaking our little finger at, at Israel and, and scolding them and stuff like that. For example, this Jerusalem Post article, and this is something largely missed by the American media, but US offering $1 million to report on Israeli human rights violations. Um, this is interesting because um, we could argue the United States has more human rights violations by far than Israel. Um, and I'm a patriot in the United States. I love this country. But um, the US State Department has offered a grant of up to $987,654 for projects that include reporting human rights violations by Israel, raising concern about the potential for abuse by organizations seeking boycotts, sanctions, international law, and tribunals against Israel. The Bureau of Democracy, Human Rights and Labor, DRL, announced an open uh, competition for projects that strengthen accountability and human rights in Israel and the West Bank and Gaza last month, um, thought to be the first of its kind from Washington. So this came from Washington through the State Department saying we're gonna give million dollars to the people that help us find out what human rights violations, you know. And, and we talked about the UN a few prophecy updates ago, how they keep, you know, uh, coming up with resolutions against Israel. Um, the, Israel's constantly targeted as the horrible country, even though they are not, as it turns out. Um, uh, Reuters uh, article, US re reaffirms two-state solution. Um, this was heartbreaking because we were, things were going so well when we said, yeah, forget the two-state solution. That's when everything started going well. But now we're back to this nonsense. Uh, US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken reaffirmed his country's commitment to solving the decades-long Israeli-Palestinian conflict through a two-state solution during a meeting with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas uh, on Sunday. Um, let me just say, appeasement has never worked in the Arab-Israeli conflict. Trying to appease the Arabs and make them happy, uh, demanding for a two-state solution. You know what's even funny? I I've talked to Palestinians in the West Bank and even they don't want a two-state solution. They want the whole thing. They don't want two states, they want the whole thing. And so it's, it's all these, you know, these politicians from Washington wondering, why is the two-state solution hasn't happened yet? Because the Israelis don't want it, but the Palestinians don't want it. The Palestinians haven't even recognized Israel as a real nation. And to, say a stu to have a two-state solution um, means that they need to recognize that Israel's a state. They're not gonna do that. That's one thing. Another thing, the two-state solution, when you start chopping up Israel, one of the things they always do in their negotiation is they chop Jerusalem in half. Half of it goes to the Arabs, half of it goes to Israel. But this is Bible prophecy stuff. 
As read Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14, it says, in the last days, they will seek to divide Jerusalem in half. That's exactly what Barack Obama said when he said, we need to get Jerusalem back to the 1967 borders. When he said that, he was, he was wanting to chop Jerusalem in half. And the Bible says the nations that do that, they're hand, handling a cup of trembling. The idea is um, they're, they're, gonna, they're going down. So, um, so, so just in this past year, the uh, United States-Israeli relations have chillied up again as they were during the Obama administration um, because we've said two states and we're, we're saying we're watching you for your human rights violations and what have you. Um, but it, what's interesting is the world is getting more and more bold and these, the Palestinians, you know, um, if you ever wanna watch crazy stuff, uh, see what the Palestinians show for their Sesame Street to their children. Uh, man, I've shown videos in times past. Um, they have Mickey Mouse and this little Jewish kid kills Mickey Mouse and drinks its blood and stuff like that. Like this is children programming. And you no wonder these young children grow up hating the Jews in Israel because the propaganda. Um, by the way, um, memory TV. Has anybody watched memory TV? M-E-M-R-I TV. Um, there's always some interesting things because they take all these uh, Arab speeches and imams speaking in you know, uh, Iran and they, they'll translate them for us so that we can hear what these people are saying. Well, I brought one video from memory that I thought you should see. Um, this is a Palestinian wedding, a wedding singer who's a Palestinian and they're singing songs and rejoicing. Um, uh, and they're rejoicing at this wedding and, and you'd be shocked what they're rejoicing about. Try to read the lyrics here if you can. Uh, let's roll this. Nice little wedding song, you know, whatever happened. I can't fight this feeling anymore. No, <laughs> no, wedding singers, uh, Palestinian wedding singers. That, that's really quite a little tune that they were busting out there. Um, <laughs> I got this from our Steve, the tour guide. For, uh, he said, Brett, check this out. Maybe Athey Creek should sing this as a worship song at church. And we were laughing a little bit about that. But um, uh, this is the worldview. These guys are celebrating and, and just chaos is what they want. Um, yeah, China attacked Taiwan. Uh, you know, do all the things that uh, bring unrest. And, um, and so, you know, um, what, what's going on here? Now, now, I think that some food for thought, something to think about, and I wouldn't be dogmatic on this one, but, but I do sense something, and I've seen this as a pattern in times past. The Trump administration, love him or hate him, um, we were seeing prosperity. Um, you know, the current administration, we're seeing massive inflation, world chaos, potential World War III, threatening nuclear weapons, food shortages, supply chain issues, and we can go on and on all the struggles and problems we have right now. 
And some people say, well, that's because of Biden or that's because of Trump or whatever. But could it have less to do with the person who's in office? Maybe he does. Or could it have something more to do with our position on Israel? You say, well, Brett, I don't know about all that. Well, this is where I lean on the Bible. And maybe, you know, this is where you won't see politicians lean on the Bible. But remember what the Bible says in Genesis 12, three? I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Um, not only that, Psalm 122 is uh, six, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Those who love Jerusalem will prosper. So we could say, well, it's his policies. And, and I would make that argument too. Um, but maybe more than the policies, um, you know, whether you like him or hate him, the Jews loved Trump. Like I told you, they named streets after Trump. There's a train in Jerusalem named after Trump, the Trump train. Um, you know, and it's when Trump shifted the capital to, and acknowledged Jerusalem as, as the capital of Israel. It's when Trump said, Golan Heights belongs to Israel. And the Jews were elated that finally an American president was bold enough to actually um, say things in favor of Israel. And, and, and we were getting um, deliriously happy with how things were going. Um, and then the next administration comes in and very anti-Israel and, and everybody in Israel knows this, that you know, basically the Biden administration was a continuation of the Obama administration policy of you know, two state solution, chop Jerusalem in half, give it to the Arabs and, um, and very much skeptical of Israel and not a real friend of Israel. And, and that's, I, I wonder if maybe part of the troubles we're seeing right now is, is because like the Bible says, we're not trying to bless Israel. We're, we're actually cursing Israel right now. Um, we're not praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We're, uh, we don't love Jerusalem as a nation. And because of that, I wonder if that's part of the reason why we're not doing so well right now. Um, I think that that has a lot more to do with it than people were willing to uh, acknowledge. But anyway, uh, as we move on, another sign uh, to be watching, a sign of the times, you can't go without noticing and watching this Iranian nuke deal uh, that's been on the table and it's been being debated. Uh, the Biden team is, uh, this, this, this to me is the epitome of insanity. First of all, the Iranian nuke deal is ridiculous. The one that was signed um, you know, during the Obama administration, you know, John Kerry and the whole thing, ridiculous. Um, it actually paved the way, those of you that know the nuke deal, it paved the way for the Iranians to have nuclear weapons. And we sent billions and billions of American dollars to Iran where they went and what did they do? Spend it on their uh, low income people and housing and, and food? No, they, they built and bought weaponry, the uh, same weapons where just last month they uh, you know, tried to you know, hit those uh, targets in Iraq. Uh, near the U.S. Uh, facilities there. Those are the same weapons that we paid for that they were shooting at us uh, last month. Um, so the Iranian nuke deal was ridiculous and that's why we got out of it because it was, it was only, the Israelis again hated the nuke deal because it only allowed the Iranians to get a nuclear weapon eventually. Um, so now uh, the Biden administration is furiously working back on trying to get back into this Iranian nuke deal. Um, question, does anybody know? Who is Biden leaning heavily on for help uh, to get this deal to go through? Anybody? Pooty poot. Um, is it, this, is, this is amazing, this is insanity. Biden administration is incoherently announcing sanctions on Russia while also creating a massive subsidy for Russia, which makes no sense at all. 
Um, we've lost our minds. It's, it's crazy um, what's happening in this Iranian nuke deal. And you should just know about this. Um, now, the Jews, they hate this. And, and, um, and this is not helping our, uh, you know, American relationship with, the, uh, with Israel. Again, Jerusalem Post article, Bennett, prime minister, to post Israel uh, will continue its strategy to stop Iran, even if there is a deal. In other words, um, Israel knows they have to go it alone if we sign a deal. Um, this article says, we will protect ourselves by ourselves. Even if there is an agreement, we are not committed to it. We will preserve our freedom to act. A deal that will send tens of billions of dollars to this rotten and weak regime will be a mistake, the prime minister said, because this money will go to terror against the IDF soldiers, that's Israeli Defense Forces. And Americans will also be victims in the region. Bennett stated, when the, money, um, when the money enters Iranian coffers, they attack American soldiers through their proxies. And boy, that's the truth. The Israelis are clear-eyed on this one. The United States, we're wacko. Uh, and we're using Putin to help broker a deal. While we're sanctioning on one side, um, we're, we're uh, coming up with subsidies, massive subsidies for Russia, which makes no sense at all. Um, some people are really worried about our administration, just their... Um, cognitive skills. They really, like people are really worried. Uh, not just, uh, you know, the conservatives, but even some of the liberals are concerned about that. Um, another shifting gears again, another sign of the times. Um, who would have thought we'd be talking about this because, you know, um, famine is something that's real in the world, but it, it doesn't really reach us in any way. But isn't it interesting that just last uh, couple days ago, Biden warns of real food shortages um, over the Russia invasion into Ukraine. The Hill article um, says, um, Biden warns of real food shortage risk over the invasion. President Biden warned Thursday that there could be global food shortages resulting from Russian invasion of Ukraine and announced steps to prevent a, a potential crisis. We did talk about food shortages and it's going to be real. The prices of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia, it's opposed, imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country, Biden said, at a press conference from Brussels, where he is, was meeting with the NATO leaders. Now, um, you say, Brett, are we really, United States, are we really gonna have shortages uh, in our food? Um, Biden's saying we will, and he says it's gonna be radical. Um, whether that happens or not, I don't know. But it is interesting. Who would have thought the United States, we'd be sitting around thinking, man, we could have food shortages. Um, but we're kind of there. Now, the reason I say that is that is a very Bible prophecy kind of notion, famine. But what, what, what is, what is going to happen with famine and why? If you study what's happening, it has to do with fertilizer. I guess the Russians provide us with all of our fertilizer. Uh, and we don't make fertilizer anymore in the United States. And our farmers can't farm without fertilizer. That's one thing. Have you guys heard about all, like if you follow this, it's kind of insane. It's time to fire up the farmers again. You know, we've been paying farmers not to grow food. Um, and yet we're getting our food from everyone else. Um, the, the whole thing is a little, a little uh, crazy, but now we're at the mercy of the world because of food and we'll see, we'll see what happens. But the one thing I want you to see is how quickly things can kind of go bad. Um, they, they go real bad. Now let's couple this, uh, this notion of um, nuclear threat with the idea of famine. Um, this is something, I, I, I don't wanna get too deep into this, um, um, but um, there's, a, there's a scientist named Brian Toon 
who was back, remember I mentioned Gorbachev and, and Ronald Reagan and their you know, Cold War discussions? Um, Brian Toon was part of a panel of scientists that fed Gorbachev and Reagan with the, the statistics on what would happen if nuclear weapons were exchanged and what would happen to the world. And, and it was largely that scientific information of what, what nuclear weapons do. And, and uh, that's what got them to really get uh, the, the idea of ending the Cold War. Um, and Brian Toon and his panel of scientists were very much involved. Well, he recently did a TED Talks uh, mile high there in Denver. Um, and I won't show you the whole thing, but um, this is something you should know about because he, he kind of spells it out for us and it's linked to the, what happens if nuclear weapons are used? Um, check this out. Even a war between India and Pakistan, two of the smallest nuclear powers with only a few hundred weapons of about the size of the Hiroshima bomb, we might die as unintended consequences that the Indian and Pakistani generals never even gave us a thought about. My colleagues, Luke Oman and Alan Roebuck, calculated the spread of smoke after a war between India and Pakistan. It only takes about two weeks for the smoke to cover the entire earth, and it would rise to altitudes between 20 and 50 miles above the surface. At those altitudes, it never rains. The smoke would stay there for years. This farmer may be in Europe or in the United States, but many thousands of miles from Pakistan and India is looking at the smoky sky above him and down at the crops that have died in his field from lack of light and cold temperatures. It's estimated that in a war between India and Pakistan that we would lose 10 to 40% of the yields of corn, wheat, and rice for years afterward because of the bad weather. The entire world only has enough food to feed the population for 60 days unless agriculture produces more food. Ira Helfand, a member of the Nobel Peace Prize winning International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War, has estimated that one to two billion people would die after a war between India and Pakistan of starvation. Again, you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. And uh, famine is one of the things that many of the world leaders don't even think about when they think about pushing the nuclear button. Um, but can you imagine, that's just, that's just the science behind India and Pakistan uh, exchanging a nuclear weapon. Um, famine would be a direct result. Now you say, Brett, what does that have to do with Bible prophecy? Well, Revelation chapter six, where we, that's where the tribulation begins. And remember the, the four horsemen of the, of the apocalypse? Um, well, this describes some of that. It says, and when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and the beasts of the earth. Um, part of the tribulation period will be famine. That's part of the deal. Jesus said in the Matthew 24 Olivet Discourse, we already read this, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And he goes on in Matthew 24 and talks about the sun being darkened and all this stuff, the stuff that that guy just described. 
which makes us wonder, you know, will nuclear weapons be used at the beginning of the tribulation, right before the tribulation? Um, will there be an exchange between, you know, Russia and the United States or, or some, some world power? Um, the Bible, when you put all the pieces together in the Bible, it does seem that nuclear weapons stupidly will be employed at some point. And uh, it's gonna really hurt the world. And like that guy said, what did he say? Like up to 2 billion people will die. Well, that fits right in. If you read the book of Revelation in the first half of the tribulation, there's gonna be like um, a third of the planet is gonna die. The Bible says that. Um, By the way, um, this is one of the main reasons I'm not a a pre-wrath or mid-trib rapture person. Because as I read the book of Revelation, chapter six or 19 is the tribulation. The abomination of desolation happens in the middle of the tribulation. And so the pre-wrath guys, they kind of say, well, you know, we're gonna go through the first part, but then we're raptured at the uh, middle part. Um, one of the reasons I don't believe that is when you read Revelation 6 through 19, the first half is not a cakewalk either. It's still wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. And we're not appointed under wrath. So I believe that's one of the many reasons why I'm a pre-tribber. And we did a whole thing on that. Was it two prophecy updates ago of why I'm a pre-trib rapture person? Uh, and you can check that out if you want, two prophecy updates ago. But, um, but all that to say, famine is gonna happen in the tribulation period. So when we see the echoes of famine today in days of so-called prosperity, it's not that hard of a stretch to picture it happening in the tribulation to a real uh, level, especially with the threat of nuclear weapons. Sign number, what are we on, seven? Somewhere in there, seven. Um, I'm running out of time. Wokeism continues. Uh, New York, New York uh, Post article, uh, Disney slams Florida for signing don't say gay bill into law. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this don't say gay bill is nowhere in the bill does it say don't say gay. And that's just a made up thing. It's, it's propaganda. Uh, it's nowhere to be found. Um, uh, the New York Post article, uh, Disney slams Florida. Uh, the Florida's HB 1557, also known as the don't say gay bill, um, should never have passed and should never have been signed into law, reads the statement from Disney which posted this message on corporate Twitter feed Monday. Our goal as a company is for this law to be repealed by the legislature or struck down in the courts. And we remain committed to supporting uh, the national and state organizations working to achieve that. The statement added, we are dedicated to standing up for the rights and safety of LGBTQ um, members of Disney family, as well as the LGBTQ community in Florida and across the country. Um, Do you know what the... Uh, you know, do you know what the bill that uh, Governor DeSantis signed actually does? Uh, if you know, it basically forbids schools from um, withholding parents from knowledge of their minor child's sexual or gender identification. Um, and then also the idea of not teaching sex topics to kindergartners through third grade. Like it's an amazing, uh, logical, uh, reasonable bill that was signed. And finally, there's sensibilities coming when it comes to the LGBTQ issues in the schools. And yet Disney is um, going to battle politically against the whole state. This is really something. Um, um, You know, it's funny because the don't say gay part, this this is the part they say don't say gay. And I'll read the bill. It says this, classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. 
That's all it says. It doesn't say don't say gay. It just, it, it just says logically, don't be teaching kindergartners and second graders and stuff about uh, transgenderism and all the other uh, LGBTQ, ABCDFG uh, issues. Um, um, if that's not bad enough, um, you know, uh, Disney has gone ballistic uh, when it comes to the gay agenda. I'm trying to fast forward. I have a lot more information here, but uh, I'm gonna show you a couple videos from a video that was never meant to get out to public. It was an internal sort of uh, um, um, inner office uh, Zoom meeting, but here's a couple of the things. You gotta hear this. This is one of the... Um, um, Oh, what was her role? She's she's a, a executive at Disney right now. And like the, the our leadership over there has been so welcoming to like my like not at all secret gay agenda. And so like I I feel like I felt like it was I mean like maybe it was that way in the past, but I guess like something must have happened in the last like like they are turning it around, they're going hard, and then all that like momentum that I felt like that sense of I don't have to be afraid to like let's have these two characters kiss let's in the background this like I was just wherever I could just basically adding queerness to like the, if you see anything queer in the show I'm proud of but like I, I just was like no one would stop me and no one was trying to stop me she's one of the executives at Disney if, if that's not bad enough um I left this graphic. This went back to the Fox News thing. The woke world of used to be the wonderful world of Disney um, when I was a child. But um, um, video number two, same uh, uh, Zoom meeting. This is the uh, Disney production coordinator, Alan March. Uh, check this out. And this is creepy, if you ask me. Yeah, um, I've had the privilege of working with the Moon Girl team for the last two years. And they've been really open to exploring queer stories. And part of, I'm on the production side, uh, part of uh, the work that I feel like I can put in is um, making sure that we take place in modern day New York. So making sure that that's like an accurate reflection of New York. So I put together like a tracker of our background characters to make sure that we have like a, the full breadth of expression. And uh, we got into a very similar conversation, Carrie, of like, oh, all of our like, gender non-conforming characters are in the background. And so it's not just a numbers game um, of how many LGBTQ plus characters you have. We got the further, uh, the, the more centered a story is on a character, the more nuanced you get to get into their story. And especially with like trans characters, you can't see if someone is trans. There's not one way to look trans. And so kind of the only way to have these like canonical trans characters, canonical asexual characters, canonical bisexual characters is to give them stories where they can like be their whole selves. So this person, uh, the production coordinator at Disney, Alan March, exploring queer stories, creating a tracker to make sure they're creating enough uh, gender non-conforming characters, canonical trans characters and canonical bisexual characters. These are their goals. And all I have to say about this, parents beware. Um, the, Disney is now officially uh, trying to brainwash your children. Uh, and it's, I think it's demonic and it's evil. And it's something that we, you know, I'm not one who's always said time to boycott Disney or anything, uh, but now things have gotten, uh, it's like this is just demonic level evil. Uh, which is really heartbreaking. Um, man, I'm running out of time. Um, 
You know, as far as wokeness, I think, um, did you guys see our Supreme Court justice pick uh, not being able to answer um, uh, a fairly easy question. I mean, like if you recall some of our Supreme Court justices, um, they, they're asked some hard questions, I'll admit when you're there. But the hardest question for a public official is to answer what is a woman as it turns out. Um, here's that snippet for you if you hadn't seen it. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. no. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Not in okay. this context. So I'm you not believe a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? She says, you know, I'm not a biologist. Um, I'm not a biologist either, but I can tell you uh, what a woman is. Um, <laughs> it's interesting how hard that question was for her to to struggle with. Um, the, the wokeism and what we're seeing in all this stuff, Disney and this, this whole stuff, um, it's sad because the church is slowly being sucked into wokeism on a lot of issues too, and it should not be that we should be biblical, not woke. Um, but um, as it turns out, you know, I, I gotta remind you, you know, 2 Thessalonians 2, um, part of the end times uh, scenario is this, and read it quickly. It says, you know, um, for the uh, mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, that's the church and the Holy Spirit holding this stuff back right now, until he be taken out of the way, and then shall the, that wicked, that's the Antichrist, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs, and check this out, lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved, and for this cause, cause God shall send them strong delusion uh, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, this, what we're seeing here in wokeism is the lie that I believe uh, that, you know, 2 Thessalonians chapter two talks about the great apostasia, the falling away. Uh, I believe we're seeing that happen right now. And that's gonna continue to happen. And we're gonna see wokeism and the deception of all these things these people believe that are so clearly not true. Like, you, you know, you don't have to be a biologist. We can talk about X and Y chromosomes and stuff like that. Like it's pretty easy stuff, but um, they're believing this crazy uh, worldview and lie. We're seeing, I think, the introduction of that that's gonna, uh, that's gonna be even more rampant after the rapture of the church. We're seeing those things. Now, um, because it's getting late, I think we need to start wrapping this up. But we could go on and on talking about how news items today, it's not that we're saying this Bible prophecy is being fulfilled and this one's being fulfilled. We're seeing the birth pains. We're seeing the world events and the trends stacking up to match what the Bible says is gonna happen. And some of these things are even sort of the precursors to what's gonna happen during the tribulation, which praise the Lord, we're not gonna be here for that. Um, you see, some of you might say, Brett, this is all bad news. Nuclear weapons, crazy Putin, uh, you know, um, famine, this is depressing stuff. But this is where I love to remind us that um, we are not appointed unto wrath. We're gonna be raptured, taken up. We're looking for Christ. We're not looking for the Antichrist, we're looking for Jesus Christ. Um, and I love what Jesus told us in that 
that, all of that discourse, Matthew 24, six, um, you know, what do we do with this? Jesus said, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And then he says, see that you be not troubled. So if you're troubled by the stuff that I've, I've shared, you need to shift your thinking and say, it's not about the bad stuff. It's the signs of the times that are pointing us to that the, that the Lord is coming soon. And that should give us great hope. In Luke 21, which is also a rendition of the Olivet Discourse, um, it says, and when these things begin to come to pass, that's what we're seeing right now, then look up, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Um, we have the hope of Christ. We have the hope of heaven. We can encourage one another with these words like 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 tells us that we're not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation. And I can't end without saying salvation's the whole thing. If you're not a Christian, then you will be here when all of this stuff the Bible says uh, is gonna come down. And that is depressing. If you're a Christian and you've accepted Christ, what happened? Your sins are forgiven. And when the rapture of the church happens, or should you die before that happens, which is possible, the rapture could be 100 years from now. I don't think it will be. I think it could be very soon. I think it could be tomorrow. But if it's not, and you and I live and die a full life and whatever, when you're a Christian, man, that's the best day of your life. Because you go to heaven. You, you leave this old world that's falling apart and you get to go to heaven and be um, uh, saved by God's grace through faith. So if you're not a Christian, this is, this is the time. Today is the day of salvation. What do, you, what do you need to do to become a Christian? The Bible makes it clear. You repent of your sins. Just say, Lord, I acknowledge my sins before you. And then as you repent and then you confess with your mouth and say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he rose up from the grave. And when you confess that and believe that, the Bible says, Romans 10, verse nine and 10, says you will be saved. So if you're worried about these things and you're not saved, you should be worried. But um, man, the, the best place in the world to be is a, a saved by God's grace Christian, knowing that heaven's coming. So this stuff doesn't move us, it doesn't trouble us. We're not afraid and we're not freaked out because Christ has come to save us and heaven's where we're headed. It's something that's truly glorious. So if you if Brett, you're weird, man, you're into all this stuff and you seem happy about it. Um, the reason I'm happy is because Christ is coming and I think it could be sooner uh, than we even imagine. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Oh, Lord, how thankful we are for the truth of your word. And now, Lord, as we pack up our Bibles for the evening, I pray that you'd leave an impression on our hearts of that joy that comes from salvation. Lord, that uh, it's not about here and now, but Lord, our affections are set in heaven. We look forward to that day where you take us up to be with you. And until then, I pray that we would occupy until you come, that we'd be all about going to the world and preaching the gospel that Lord, we'd shine your light in these dark days. I pray that your church would radiate truth and speak truth. Lord, help the pulpits to be bold and proclaim the scriptures. Um, may your church be bold in the places where they work and the schools they attend. Lord, even when in dangerous times, I pray that your church would be bold to, uh, to, to speak the truth in love, but also in power. So use your church, use us, bless these, your people who've gone through this time tonight with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.